All right. Welcome to the Tim Moen Show. Here's my trip. Ben and I had to get that introduction in. I, I made that. <laughs> That's pretty sweet. Yeah. I like it. I like musical. Nice. All right. We got a lot to talk about today. By the way, welcome. Welcome back from the great beyond. You've been out of commission for a while. You've been a working man. What? Yeah. 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 That's the thing. I got, I finally got all my uh, docs in order and I'm back doing the kind of work that I've wanted to do. I, I've enjoyed doing it for a long time. So I've been really, really heavy into it and, you know, trying to impress the boss, right? So, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, doing doing my thing. But, you know, it is in the construction season, the end of it now. So I got lots of time and I've been just chomping at the bit to get back in because there's a lot of stuff that's been right, taking right. place. Right? Awesome. Well, we got a lot to talk about today. Javi Malay has won Argentina. I see Daniel is here. Let me add him in here. See how this works. Ah, there's Daniel. Daniel, welcome back. Hey guys. All right. So we, we, Daniel and I talked a couple months ago about this uh, young upstart uh, economist who was making a political splash in Argentina, Javi Malay. And um, well, he, he's president now. How, what, what's going on? What are your reaction, Daniel, for being an Argentinian and I'm assuming an economic refugee, right? Like you fled Argentina because of its yes. policies and came here. Give us a little background into what it's like in Argentina. What what was the groundwork and the, I guess, uh, I don't know, the conditions in Argentina that, that led to this crazy thing happening? It is unbelievable. I mean, this started in 2017 with this guy, you know, appearing on my YouTube feed, you know, talking about leftists the way we've all seen we've all seen the clips right yeah. Uh, yeah. what led what led to this moment is a hundred years of economic decline right argentina in the early 1900s was top five gdp like people were fleeing fleeing europe and either going to the us or argentina right? right so 20 years ago my family fled argentina like you said economic reasons because the government basically stole everybody's money. I mean, they they locked people's savings, forced a currency change, and I mean, it was truly horrible. Right. You know, and, and then another 20 years of super high crime, you know, criminals get put in jail and then released a couple of days later. And people are completely fed up with the stereotypical politician that you know, acts that way, tells them, you know, we're going to fix it. Doesn't say how, but just says we're, we're going to take care of everything. Here we are. Here we are. And and I think last time you mentioned that inflation was something like 150% and had been for, for how long? Argentina has like some hundreds of thousands of percent inflation over the last 50 or so years. Right. It's truly unbelievable numbers um you know the peso was a dollar in the year 2000 now it's a thousand so i, I don't know you do the math wow i would but, assume not too much savings takes place under that kind of scenario <laughs> uh i don't know if you're a politician you can probably save a lot of money <laughs> right yeah well i mean we complain in canada about uh whatever our inflation rates at i mean the the official numbers are around 
I don't know, three to 5% or something. They're probably closer to 10%. But I mean, we're talking about a different universe in Argentina there. You'd, you'd mentioned it's, it's like almost impossible to, for example, buy a house. Um, you know, it, it makes the commercial sector and, and credit sector, um, you know, it, it basically, you can't do business, right? I mean, try to start a business there, get a loan. How do you get a loan when inflation is that high? And you know, who would ever give you a loan? It's well, absolutely actually, impossible I, to access credit. So, sorry. Um, oh, no, no problem. I just actually wanted to stress the, the key factor. And I, I watched the video that you guys did together. It was a great video, by the way. Great show, Tim and Daniel. Uh, anyways, I, you guys were bringing up the inflation then and as well as now. And just one number that comes off the top of my head as a father with two you know, sons, one that's 29, one that's 32, is you know, housing, mortgage costs, rent. You want to talk about inflation, and that's a key thing, especially for a younger person that's trying to, you know, maybe start a family, start out into the work world and get some a roof over the head. When you're talking, you know, that's in Canada, it's been roughly 30, 35 percent. Right. So that's a huge number. You know, the things that you might buy a, a one off deal. Right. Which is a lot of the stuff that's carried in the basket. It's pretty minor if you, you know, you think of that stuff. But the major things. A roof over your head, which is kind of important, you know, when you have 30, 35 percent, that's that's quite detrimental for uh, any population. And I feel terrible for the people of Argentina. Right. They had to go for, through uh, levels even much higher than that. Yeah. So, they, they, I mean, they had a very kind of left leftist government for a long time. Hey, Daniel, since the 90s, would you say? Or? No, I think way earlier. Oh, okay. They they installed the idea of social justice. Like in in Argentina, when we talk about social justice, we're talking about wealth distribution, right. not about the modern social justice. And that idea, you know, when people talk about Peron, like Argentinians talk about the Peronist movement. Right. I think they're making the mistake that people outside of Argentina don't know what that means. What it really means, it's like a labor party. Hmm. It's like a sort of not even left wing, but it's kind of like a right wing labor party that believes in social. Uh, in wealth redistribution, right? And that started in like the 1940s, 50s. Right. And so so what makes it, you called it a right-wing labor party that believes in distribution. What what makes it right-wing then? Uh, it's hard to say, like, you know, this right and left, it's not that practical, not that right? Theory. But what's funny is this party in the 2000s, they call themselves the same way, and they are for, like, gay rights, for example, but the guy that started this movement, Peron, you know, he's quoted as saying terrible things about the gays, about women, about all those things. Like um, it, at that time, the left was like full on communism. And I guess they didn't want to be associated that way. Right, right. And, and yeah, I guess, you know, there's there's probably something to be said about being culturally right wing as well right i remember seeing this uh this meme a while ago about uh that compared two communists like the communist of today with the blue hair out there chanting for antifa and then the communist uh of the soviet union who was a very masculine figure who fought for the for the fatherland who um you know hunted with wolves in the urals who you know the some someone that the right wing of today would find very aesthetically pleasing but he was fighting for the communist economic system right for the state to be own everything but he was doing it with a very kind of right wing aesthetic of today right it was someone we might describe as right wing 
I just there's uh, always been a general distrust of the wealthy person and the 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 owner, the the business owner, and that's always been the case, and that was the case with Peron back then. So that remains. Right, right, and we certainly see that uh, today, right, Bennett, with uh, with today's pop right wing populace, even right. Like th there's a lot of crossover with left wing populism in that you know they they tend to focus on big corporations. You know, um, Pfizer, yeah. Moderna are the latest ones, uh, but Google and Facebook and all these uh, you know different corporations are are the enemy. And, you know, so there's, there's crossover there. It's like the left has been saying for years that corporations are the enemy. And now, uh, conservatives on the right seem to agree with them. Well, what I actually, it's funny because listening to so many different people, it helps me as per usual, put so many pieces of the puzzle together. And I already just based on, you know, cause obviously people like Hitler and Mussolini always referred to as right wingers, but if you actually learn about their history, very much, you know, into the socialism, I Big time. And I mean, come on, the, the, so, the German Socialist uh, Workers Party, right? The, the Nationalist Socialist. I think what it is, is, and I think Elon Musk was the most recent person I've heard say something along these lines, and it actually makes sense, is when you're talking about the people who are in the media or the thought leaders, when they're so far left, I mean, even now at this point in time, right, would be considered a right winger by some of these people. They're so far on the left that everything is a right winger. Right. And maybe the people who wrote a lot of the history that you know dictated that uh, that Hitler and Mussolini were right wingers were just maybe a little further left, right? And I think the big factor, like you're kind of bringing into it, is the na nationalism, right? That 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 kind of naturalist thing, nationalist thing is kind of what separates like the the globalist types of the communist types. So right. to them, right, it was just a different iteration. So they referred to them just like they're referring to some people now as, you know, right wing. But once again, when your right. perspective is standing all the way to the farthest point on the left, you can yeah, well, I everything mean, it, is right. It's almost like uh, the right and left was divided then, and it kind of is divided now by hmm. uh, nationalists and internationalists, right? It doesn't right. really matter what your policies are. You could be a died in the wood will call me but as long as you were a nationalist who uh exhibited that kind of uh, conservative aesthetic mm -hmm. you know you were um you, you're right wing i guess right yeah. but uh yeah very interesting okay let me let me uh play a couple videos here and get your guys reaction oh actually before i play the videos um okay you've set the stage we've we've got these uh, left and right wing commies that have been running uh argentina forever off the charts, inflation, the economy is a shambles, the people are suffering. And now where does Javi Malay come from and, and how does he rise to prominence and become president? You know, people were so fed up that they wanted something different. And this is a person that's authentic. He's saying the things that the mainstream media wouldn't let anyone else say they wouldn't put anyone else on TV saying the things he's saying, saying things that we all think. We already thought for the last 20 years that politicians are liars and we are not in their concerns when they govern, right? So he's just being authentic. He's saying things that everybody else already thought. He's backing it up with, you know, a PhD in economics and Austrian authors. And he was there on TV almost every day for the last four years. Right. So so he had an, a TV presence. Uh, he was kind of a public figure that was known. 
He was an economist. All right. So he starts his own party, right? And what, what was his party called? La Libertad Avanza. Uh, liberty moves forward. Something right, like that. Right. Um, very cool. And now one thing we should say is that in Argentina, they have, I think, I believe they have proportional representation, right? So uh, that changes the voting a little bit, doesn't it? Don't ask me how that works. Well, I'll tell uh, you. I'll tell you how it works. I mean, here's how it works. If we had proportional representation in Canada, for example, in 2015, I think the Libertarians would have had anywhere between seven and 15 seats in Parliament. And you know, so what what they do is they count who in first past the post. Um, it essentially changes the the voting calculation to vote against your worst nightmare, right? So. Um, you know, I, I can't vote Libertarian or PPC because I, I they're not going to win anyways, and I can't have Trudeau elect. So I have to choose the party that is most likely to defeat Trudeau that most closely aligns with my values, and that's the CPC. So that's what happens here. But in Argentina, if they have a PR system, uh, what that means is if you vote for the PPC or the Libertarians, they count up all the votes. And if you get a certain number of votes, you get a seat, even if you don't clear that 50% past the post system. So so it creates an opportunity. And, and of course, Justin Trudeau promised to bring us proportional representation. And if he had followed through on his promise, while parties like the Libertarian Party and the People's Party of Canada would have seats in Parliament right now, but that's probably why he... He didn't follow through on his promise to implement PR, but it should be noted that that's a pretty big, um, that's something for libertarians to keep in mind uh, when they're, they're talking about the proportional representation that, you know, the only time you're ever going to see someone is outside the box as a libertarian or a populist like um, uh, Maxime Bernier win an election it is if there's a PR system. Uh, if there's no PR system, what they have to do is adopt essentially a mainstream view and be, you know, slightly to the right or the left of it um, to attract voters and just be not the bad guy. And, you know, obviously Malay isn't doing that. So let's let's see. Malay uh, starts his party. He gets, I think, 17 percent of the vote, which gets him a seat. Um, and now his, he's picking up steam and he actually wins the election. Um, so let's see if I can share some of the video clips here I have. Hold on. I'll figure this out. Oh, yeah, share screen. And we are going to this. So here's this madman at his victory party. He's pumped up, man. This guy's charismatic. Yeah. Dance, Abby. Dance. Chanting Liberty. All right, let's see a couple other videos to get a sense of this guy. He loves it. I mean, he's just into it. <laughs> he definitely, uh, definitely has a lot of charisma. I'll say that. All right, who are we going to next? Going to this one. Ministerio de Cultura, afuera. 
Ministerio de Ambiente y Desarrollo Sostenible, afuera. Ministerio de las Mujeres y Género y Diversidad, afuera. Ministerio de Obras Públicas, afuera. Aunque te resistas. Ministerio de Ciencia y Tecnología e Innovación, afuera. Ministerio de Trabajo, Empresa y Social, afuera. Ministerio de Educación, Adoctrinamiento, afuera. Ministerio de Transporte, afuera. Ministerio de Salud, afuera. Ministerio de Desarrollo Social, afuera. Se acabó el curro de la política. Damn liberty. Gotta love it. <laughs> yeah. And then the Fed and all of those different uh, institutions and stuff. It just takes me back to the Ron Paul days, right? Yeah, yeah. All right. Here's one more for you. And this is uh, his view on leftists. Let's see if I can. <laughs> this one in here. He's a big fan. Guy likes liberty. Al zurdo de mierda no le podés dar ni un milímetro. Pero, pero me definir zurdo de mierda que no Todos lo los que, digamos, los colectivistas, los que ponen, digamos, o sea, esa oh, idea. A ver, ¿qué se le pone? Porque son un Because they mierda. are shit. O sea, pero si, clas, no, pero, pero es que si pensás pero no, pero si pensás distinto te van a te van a aniquilar. This Ese es el punto. Es decir, vos al sur no le podés dar un milímetro. Porque le das un milímetro y lo toma para destrozarte. Es decir, usa, digo, o sea, vos no podés negociar con el sur. No se negocia. No se negocia con esa mierda. No se negocia porque te van a llevar puesto. Si tienen un golpeador que caga con palas a la mujer, digamos, si es de ellos, le pone el pañuelito verde y grita todo el tiempo contra el neoliberalismo, lo ocultan. ¿Ven eso? O sea, si de repente hay alguien que acosó a otra periodista, lo ocultan. Es decir, a todos los de ellos, lo ocultan. Todas esas aberraciones lo ocultan. Ahora, si vos estás del otro lado, a vos te van a estropear. Te van a matar, te van a dar con lo que sea. No les importa arruinarte la vida. ¿Por qué? Porque no pensás como ellos. Y ¿sabes qué es lo bueno de todo esto? lo bueno de todo esto? Porque como el error es humano, como todos nos podemos equivocar, ¿sabes que nos obligan a ser mejores? Y como estamos siendo tan mejores que ellos, como los estamos aplastando en la batalla cultural, los estamos pasando de arriba, porque no solo le ganamos en lo productivo, somos superiores moralmente, somos superiores estéticamente, somos mejores en todo, y les duele, les duele. Entonces, como no pueden pelear con las herramientas legítimas, se apalancan en el aparato represivo del Estado, poniendo I so right about that the uh, the politics of envy and resentment when it comes to those you know whether you want to call them left socialists collectivists whatever it's it's so well in Canada we have our own little phrase there although it's something I didn't even know about till recent years but the tall poppy syndrome oh don't you dare succeed you can succeed as long as it's on par with everyone else the minute you pop your head up above anything above that oh you're going to get beat back down that's actually one of the detriments of the at least my neck of the woods over here, for sure, in this country. Uh, you know what's part of it? We've had decades of the media and like Hollywood showing us the business owner, the CEO, 
as a guy that's smoking cigars all day long, not working and making millions, I think a ton of people actually think that. They think it's unfair because they think the owner, the boss, you know, it just doesn't work. He's just taking advantage of everyone. Yeah, no. I, How I think rare right. is it to actually be and talk to these people? Like they're a huge minority, CEOs, right? Yeah. I have the privilege of knowing some and they work extremely hard, hard right? Yeah, yeah, Origin. absolutely. Yeah, I mean, there's, you know, right now in Alberta, we, we see this everywhere, right? This is kind of, um, it's kind of a left-wing trait, right? Uh, of um, thinking that, the, the 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 rich are rich because you're poor or someone's doing better off means that I'm doing worse off right and uh, of course it's I, I believe that sentiment precedes the bad economic arguments like there's a bad economic argument that says that there's a zero-sum game in in politics and then if the rich have most of the wealth that means, the rest of us are deprived of wealth when in actual fact, it's not a zero sum game. Those people are building value and it's lifting all boats. So even if I'm poor, my 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 uh, condition in life is much better than uh, a nobleman of 200 years ago or something like that. But I, I, I don't think that that. Um, I think the sentiment starts before that they try to use that argument. I think they're just jealous, you know, like Margaret Thatcher said, socialism is the politics of envy. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and so uh, I think they're envious. I think this probably emerges in childhood or something like that. And rather than looking at how um, someone, how wealth is obtained and how it's generated, they, they are looking to use the system to redistribute to themselves. So, we see this in, in Alberta, for example. Right now, uh, Danielle Smith is reforming the healthcare system. She's, um, you know, I, as far as a from a libertarian perspective, they're fairly modest reforms. I can see how they're going to dramatically improve things on the ground for me as a as a paramedic. Um, but you know, they're, they're no long term solution to the healthcare system at all. But they are decentralizing it. They, she's decentralizing the healthcare system. She's breaking up the Alberta Health Services monopoly and redistributing those powers and getting it closer to uh, work units and people and that sort of thing. At least that's what appears to be happening. And of course, the the detractors are all crying. She wants to privatize. She wants to, you know, we're going to have those private corporations with their icky profit more motive in charge of healthcare, as if public sector workers aren't also greedy, profit-driven people, right? As if me, a government worker, doesn't want more money somehow, That as if I want to do healthcare for free. I, I It's called getting paid to do a job, and I think I deserve a raise. Does that make me greedy or less qualified to provide healthcare than Mother Teresa, who might do it for, for free? No, no one does this work for free, right? So we're all greedy. We're just, you know, the public sector, their greed manifests in there's never enough money. Keep giving me more money until I get more money. The, the system is going to be terrible. Whereas in the private sector, at least if you give them a budget, you know, the only way they can benefit is if they, they are cost conscious, if they ensure that they're not blowing their budget. In the public sector, what you want to do is spend all your budget and then a little bit more so you can justify bilking the taxpayers for more money and growing your department and getting more money. 
while the private sector doesn't have that luxury. And so they, they maybe have less high quality ambulances. Maybe they pay their staff a little bit less. Maybe they have a bit more agile procurement method so that they find stuff on sale. Maybe they treat their staff better so that they can attract staff and they don't have to pay for people to be on, on uh, mental health leave all the time. Cause the, you know, they, they don't run a toxic workplace like AHS does, but you know, at the end of the day, they're, they're all greedy. They're just in different ways. So let's see, we got Justin, we got a few people making comments here. Um, Let's see what, uh, I'm, I'm sorry if I mispronounce your name there. I don't know if the T is silent. Yeah, I think Sanico? it is. Is it Sanico? Yeah. On elaborating on why I despise the vote splitting argument, it tells others that they are bad for not voting for the right party. If you don't vote for the right party, it's your fault they lost. Yeah, I mean, we see this all the time, don't we, guys? You know, the PPC is blamed for splitting votes. The Libertarian Party was blamed for splitting votes. And I just turned that argument around on them. I said, look, if everyone had voted for me, we wouldn't have Justin Trudeau. You guys split the vote. You know, the 90% of you that voted uh, conservative should have voted for me instead. And then we wouldn't have had this problem. So quit splitting the vote. Yeah, exactly. You guys it was ever, like you were saying earlier, though, Tim. It's the, especially in Canada with our type of electoral system. Is it's unfortunately it's all incentivized, like you say, to be we're stuck with the main parties because, like you say, you, you, there's no point in voting unless you know people are going to do it on mass to some challenger. Because yeah, it's that's the problem here is people are really what you come down to, and that's something that us libertarians understand intrinsically is everything we're talking about here. It really comes down to incentive how the people are incentivized at the end of the day and people are incentivized to pick from one of the lessers of evils because basically that's the only thing that makes pragmatic or sense to them right yeah yeah uh daniel here's a question from rumble that uh, maybe you can answer malay seems to use terms like anarchy and anarcho-capitalism explicitly during the campaign how is this perceived by the mainstream great question He has explained this many, many times because the mainstream is very scared of the word anarchy. So he has explained that in principle, philosophically, uh, he believes in long-term anarcho-capitalism. Like he often right. says that the role of the government a lot of times is a lack of technology, for example. Like technology mm -hmm. could replace a lot of the functions of the government. And if the so society evolves enough, you could have a working uh, anarchy uh, society, right? right? But he says that just short term, he's um, a minarchist. Right. Well, that makes sense. So, but like Argentinians sound like they're much more, are, are they much more, I guess, educated or um, like, I, I just imagine using terms like that in, in like a mainstream political debate here in Canada and having the being massacred by the media and having, and just being completely misunderstood by the public in general, doesn't seem like that's as much as it sounds like they actually listen to the nuance and the explanation that the guy gives rather than just jumping to bumper stick conclusions. And would that be what well, you to have to or? take away? I think what North Americans need to take away from Javier Millet is the legwork that he did over the past four years being on TV. I'm not kidding. Four, five, six times a week, you know, mm. sometimes back to back on different channels. Years 
of explaining these things over and over and then basically educating a huge part of the, the young voters. Like if you look at under 30 voters, they voted overwhelmingly for Millet, like maybe 70% or something crazy, like under 30 years old. Over 50, over 60, way less. Um, and that's why like on the debate stage, he didn't go into that. I mean, it's already been explained ad nauseum. People already heard it. We need to do that legwork before someone can go and run a campaign. Right. Yeah. So it's an edu it's an education piece. And and so do you think uh, cultural Daniel, battle, cultural battle, right? And, and is it your impression, Daniel, that the culture shifted in Argentina, or is it more that than they they're like we need a radical shift? Whatever's been happening hasn't working. I'm voting for this crazy motherfucker because if I vote for the mainstream guys, the guys I always vote for, there's a certainty that I'm going to have a shitty life. Whereas if this, I vote for this guy, at least there's a hope that something different will happen. He's trying something radically different. What, which is it? Do you think they're culturally embracing these, it's this both. philosophy? It's both. it's both. It's both because people are not a monolith. And so there's both. Right. Sure. You know, when it's really funny is sometimes TV, uh, sometimes on TV, they would go on the street and ask people questions. And all of a sudden you see a guy that's working as a uh, house builder. I don't know, someone without education, you can tell. And they ask him something and all of a sudden he starts talking about fiscal deficit and you know all these Austrian concepts. Right. His teaching have definitely permeated. Wow, that's, uh, that's very cool. Well, and, and in fact, Daniel, he, he's tried to educate the World Economic Forum, Klaus Schwab and the gang on Austrian economics. He was invited and he spoke there in uh, 2014. And now he's listed, of course, on the WEF website as a contributor or something like that. And so, uh, of course, the right wing um, conspiracy people are all saying he's a he's a WEF shill. Um, what, what are your what are your uh, answer to that? Is he a WEF shill? People are not a monolith. There's always going to be right. someone that just doesn't get it. You know, Javier Millet used to have a partner, very, very close partner for years. They were like best friends. Um, this guy was also super into, you know, libertarianism. And when Millet decided to basically run for office, his friend like denounced him. Because how dare you get into that dirty thing called politics? Right. And so, you know, to me, it makes sense that you would have to get in the system to change it, but some people just don't get it. Right, right. Um, well, by the way there, Tim, actually, if you want to, in terms of uh, whether the guy's legit or not, I uh, shared a thing from the Mises Institute with you. On oh, Facebook. yeah, let me pull that up. Was that on, did you share it on Facebook or X? Yeah, yeah, in a message, yeah. Okay, I'll see if I can pull that up. In the meantime, um, you know, back, back to the question about how People in Argentina are perceiving him being an anarcho-capitalist. They seem to appreciate a nuanced understanding and, and accept his explanation. But of course, here in the MSM, mainstream media, as Fanny is saying, they're calling him a, a extreme right wing or Trump-like libertarian or something, as if Trump is somehow in favor of liberty, as if he's not a guy that wants to use the government to govern hard. Um, but I, I mean, they just don't know what to make of them in North America, right? The, the mainstream, we got to do these, these convenient 
boxes to put people in and to polarize. And that's what sells more news, the more polarized people are. And so here we have this guy that doesn't fit on the political spectrum. I mean, is he an extreme right wing guy? Hey, uh, Daniel, isn't isn't he in a polyamorous relationship? Doesn't he want to legalize sex work and gay marriage or something like that? Isn't there a bunch of <laughs> we got to do what Polyev did and, you know, basically ask, like, what do you mean by that? What is extreme? Right. Uh, what's uh, extreme right wing? Yeah, no, yeah that's he is question. very kind of culturally, you know, very libertarian. Who would have thought? Right. Yes, he's I mean, he's he lives a far more. uh far more li libertine in his private life than than I would feel comfortable doing that's for sure I'm I'm happy <laughs> to be a one woman man that's that's me though you know what he's I with like one woman he he's not a polyamorous yeah. no, no he's not yeah. polyamorous what what was it there was something in his um he did chantra you know oh, he's spoken he's a lot about tantric sex. I mean, this is stuff yeah. that you would never see a max bernier or a pierre poliev talking about right um having that kind of thing. So yeah, very good. Okay. Uh, let's see if there's any, there's a bunch more comments here. I just want to make sure I'm not missing anyone here. Uh, we see Jacob, um, Jacob Lamont from down there in Washington state. Oliver says rules, laws work against natural selection. Society will devolve as long as laws exist. Uh, that's an interesting, interesting quote. I don't, I, I, I certainly think if, if they're non-consensual laws, in other words, you know, um, laws you didn't agree to, then that certainly is true. But I, I can imagine a world where you live in a community where where there's rules and, um, you know, where you, you can't just act any way when you're in a group of people. Uh, you know, you can't. Uh, yeah, I mean, I might want to live in a community that value has the same values as me. Maybe we want order. Maybe we don't want a bunch of bums sleeping on the street and shitting on the sidewalk. Right. Those are rules that I think are we could agree to in that society as long as it's private property and private individuals making those rules within a contractual kind of consensual agreement. But yeah, yeah well, I, I take your overall point there, Oliver. That it you know it's funny that anarchy is synonymous. Well, it's not funny. It's it's not even ironic. It's probably purposeful that anarchy is uh, synonymous with chaos, right? as if having no ruler and no rulers automatically creates chaos in the world that it, but it's exact opposite it's statism that creates chaos it's imposing these laws and rules and and control on people that actually creates the chaos not uh, anarchy well can i just bring up the fact when you're talking about this stuff it's so funny how you can actually make this into like a family type of structure setting to kind of clarify things is Think about anarchy would be like when you're raising your children, right? You you have rules. There are rules in every household, no matter what you're in. And when they become adults, well, that they've entered into anarchy where you're no longer the rulers. You're no longer the ultimate authority of them anymore. But hopefully they've taken away the, the good things that you've taught them in terms of the rules. And of course, rules, as most people, even in Western societies used to be based upon or laws are based on they come synonymous with morality baked into it right morality is what laws are supposed to be based on universally consistent efforts right so it's the same with the kids when your kid is finally moved out of the house and they're going through their anarchy where they're not living under your you know soul rules it's not like they're going to go out there and just disobey everything that they've ever 
<laughs> they're, right. right now they're just they're just fig- now they you've given them the tools you know in their minds so that they know how to navigate the earth and how to treat people in the social or economic realm that's really that's the problem is with politicians and sophists and these thought leaders and these experts is they've completely solid and made everything so difficult for absolutely no reason these are things that most of us when we were playing as kids right in the schoolyard yeah. we all understood these things it's not like it's that difficult it, it just goes to show how much work and effort these central planning collectivists have right. to put in to make it so confusing. Right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I often tell people they're like, can, can you name a time when anarchy has ever worked? Or can you, I, I like to point out that, look, anarchy is literally the only thing that's currently working. I mean, <laughs> all the parts of society that are actually working and holding this thing together and holding it up, yeah. keeping it from collapsing are all the, is freedom is the areas where people are free to exercise choice and engage in consenting behavior and activity and trade. That's what's holding up society. Uh, government does not, government does, is chipping away at that though. And the more it chips away, the more in peril that we get. But I want to go can to- I, um, Can I add Tim to that? Yeah, sure. Just to uh, what Ben was saying about, um, you know, how politicians make everything complicated. You know, I, I was hearing from people as the news of Millet came on, you know, some people were telling me, well, no, the problem is really corruption. And it's like, well, where do you think corruption comes from? Corruption is human. You have a government of humans and you have no way to really like punish politicians when things go wrong. Like, you know, we've heard about the right. the, the the Pentagon being like lost, you know, I don't know how many trillion dollars or something. Like what's yeah. happening with, with that? Is there any consequence? Like, like it's the system itself. Or 9-11 or something, or unaccounted for, yeah. Well, they, they were saying that for the last six years, they cannot account for like $3 trillion. Yeah. But there's so sense. many examples. I mean, when, what's the last politician that was, you know, uh, convicted of corruption in North, you right. know, right. Canada, the U.S., and, are and there the not? Issue, and the issue, Daniel, isn't even so much the politicians that are corrupt. It's the, it's the administrative state, right? It's the bureaucracies themselves like you know i was talking about uh, alberta health services and the health reforms happening here and and explaining how if you if you're a public sector manager what you have to do is spend all your budget and then a little bit more so that you can justify getting more money from the government well um you know that that continually ha- that that's you could say well that's a corrupt manager that that is not efficiently managed or they're just following their natural incentives that the voters want you wanted free health care this was going to be a natural incentive that the government's providing it now what happens if that public sector work manager goes over budget do they get fired do they have to declare personal bankruptcy like the business owner does who goes over budget no they get either a transfer or a promotion (laughs) they rarely ever get fired or and and even so even if they do get fired I mean, that's not the same as going bankrupt and not being able to, you know, having to scrounge for the next seven years as you repair your credit. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, you know, public sector workers don't suffer the consequences of their own decision-making. That's the rest of us. It's socialized to the rest of us. Uh, they, they engage in the action and we engage in the consequences, right? Um, I, I want to get to this comment though. I think this is interesting and maybe a nice little transition here. Oops. Uh, thanks for the thumbs up there, Jacob. Um, Sonico again says, now the sword of Damocles hand, hangs over Malay. 
it can build the global libertarian movement or break the libertarian movement. I think that is a very true statement. Now the stakes are high, right? Because if Millet can't turn things around in, um, in Argentina, what does that say about libertarianism? If the, if the co economy collapses in the next few years under his administration because of, let's say, decades of leftist um, you know, uh, rule, well, that's going to be put on Malay and all freedom's detractors are going to say, see, freedom doesn't work. This is why we need a strong government. This is why we can't have these ideological uh, fantasy utopian libertarians running things. Uh, you know, free market, invisible hand. Look at what the visible hand just fucking crushed Argentina, right? You can just write the headlines if Malay doesn't pull this out of his ass. That or, can I uh, he, he, you know, we, we see him have absolutely be impotent to repeal the administrative state, right? He tries, like, how the hell is he going to chop down these bureaucracies? What is the mechanism by which he, you know, like fires everyone does he have that power what's he going to have to be able to do to do that kind of thing and and if he fails at that you know we're going to have another thing so what are your comments uh, there daniel on and bennett did the fall of the ussr stop uh communist ideas from spreading no no it didn't no of course not well, maybe it did a bit, I guess. It did for a time, but it seemed to be I mean, it did 50 years so. of terrible well, policy making in Argentina. I'll tell you what it did. It, it shifted them, right? It, they they moved away from, uh, they, they moved to more of a cultural communism, right? And and so now now we have communism cloaked in, in different wrappings. So we have the Great Reset by Klaus Schwab, which is basically redistributive economics, but for the environment, not for the worker, right? And and so they're shifted away from the worker being the the central point of communism to the you know uh, again the climate, uh, public health when it came to the pandemic, uh, you know you name it. They they use the whatever crisis emerges or that they can fabricate and say this is why we need to redistribute wealth for the sake of this because they they can no longer use the worker because obviously communism doesn't work that well for the worker we saw that in the soviet union and everywhere else it's been tried it's been debunked Cap capitalism is much better for the worker so uh, you know it, it's it's kind of shifted but um sorry i don't i don't know where you were going with that daniel can i can i just uh, interject my own thoughts here i just i was taking when you're talking with this stuff, I, I, it even takes me back to not just the Ron Paul thing, but my whole learning experience for the last, what, decade or more years is <clears throat> the problem is, well, that's the thing. And maybe Daniel can help to answer the question because I'll have a question here actually as well. But so to me, the thing that got me out of most of my, you know, when I was a kid raised in a very religious, dogmatic religious family and uh, having to break through, it's learning the thing that helped me most in the journey is, and uh, I would suggest most of us are, is the, just the cold, hard, unbridled truth. Now, he's basically, you know, using, he's going to use the state, right? Basically, he's taken over the apparatus of the state and he's going to use that to try and, and unwind the state. So as we both know, that, you know, that's really difficult because in reality, what you're trying to do is change the culture. And and that's, we've got to, you know, reference Breitbart when you talk about, that stuff is so it's really what you're doing is educate and inform the culture and then the culture will automatically can be conducive 
to accepting these things or going through some trials and tribulations or some hardships or hurdles to get to that point, right? So that to me is the thing is, and this is the question I have for Daniel, has, while he's been pumping up and saying the great, you know, the great political rhetoric and stuff, which is great, and, you know, and in some of these organizations and, and the central bank stuff, is he is he using philosophical concepts, first principles, and taking people on that kind of intellectual journey? Obviously, it'd have to be in longer form kind of interviews or podcasts to explain to the people of Argentina that this this is what we're doing. This there's going to be definitely pains. There's going to be you know I'm just a man. You know, I, I would suggest that if I was him, I'd be saying I'm I don't want to be your king. I don't want to be your benevolent ruler that I can just move the pawns around on the board and thing. I need. I do accept the fact that government at the core, what government is, is force. And so anytime someone's saying we need government for this or for you, what we're doing is we're using force. What we want to do is we want to get the people of Argentina to get on board with acknowledging that in this modern world we live in, and like Daniel was saying with the technologies and innovations and, and all these great ideas, is we're, we're not required to use force for the overwhelming majority of the things that people require or desire, right? So that's that to me is the question. And, I, and like I said, I think Daniel would be the man for answering that question is, has he been doing that? Has Javier been explaining that as he's been you know, doing this? I, I know the politics is, is obviously important, but has he been taking the people on a philosophical journey with him? That's exactly right. He has. Like I said, he's oh, he been has. over the last four years spending 30-minute interviews on podcasts, on long-form podcasts, he has inspired, you know, a bunch, like, I don't know, 20, there's 20 YouTubers, Argentinians who now have their own podcasts. And, you know, one of his, um, what do you call it? Um, emblems or like uh, phrases. I'm not here to herd sheep. I'm here to wake up lions. Right. And like, you know, Tim, when you ask, when you ask about what happens if this doesn't go well, we have no idea what's going to happen. And the one thing that we can do is basically fight that cultural battle. Like, you know, come talk to people in our family, friends, colleagues, you know, uh, have more discussions online, uh, do what we can because the anything could happen. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and, you know, the other thing this is going to reveal, I think, for libertarians and why we ought to watch Argentina very closely is, you know, is electing a political savior the answer or is it something else, right? If Malay can't turn things around um, in a democracy there, uh, even given widespread support, um, well, we have to shift our focus maybe away from electoral politics into something else. Right. So, but on the other hand, if he can turn things around, if he has success, we need to figure out how he did it. Now, is that like Daniel said, getting in front of the TV camera for 40 years, uh, constantly harping on libertarianism, Austrian economics, anarcho capitalism? Um, well, if that's the case, then that's the case. And so somebody has to start doing that. Um, but uh, as uh, Fanny says, all eyes are on. Argentina now, lots of pressure, lots of riots coming from dismantling the woke entryism in the government. Malay has to be principled not to oppress a lot of minorities. Yeah, I think I don't think he's gonna. Well, that's fair. I mean, he's gonna have to do something no, about riots, and chaos, right? But apply the law. That's what he has to do. He has What's to that? apply the law. 
Right. He has supplied a lot. I mean, you can cut streets. You can like, you know, you can like destroy property. Right. If, People but, in the past you know were what, scared if, to like. What, what what's going to happen though? His his and, and this is what I would do if I was his opposition. Let's say if I just hated that he was in there and I wanted my, my uh, establishment back in power. Um, you know, I would point to civil unrest as being a consequence of Malay. Uh, I'd point to the the you know, let's say 75% of government workers who are now unemployed because of Javi and his radical policies and look at the unrest he's causing on the street. And oh, now he's cracking down on these mostly peaceful protesters, right? Yeah, there's a few bad apples in there wrecking property bad on, but these people have a legitimate grievance and he's stifling them and oppressing them. I mean, that's how I'd play it if I was opposition and that could be fairly effective. At least in North America, it could be- they talked a lot about this. First of all, he has he's not going to make deep government cuts right away, unlike Vivek wants to do, right? He said that the, the cost is going to be paid by the political class, right? Um, he has also said many times, because, you know, in Argentina, it's very common for people to cut the streets and protest, and people are so fed up. And what they said is they're only going to, you know, basically reprimand the, the leaders, the, the organizers, once you take those people away, who, by the way, I mean, these people pay people to cut this, to, you know, to, to do this, right? right? If you cut that funding, if you put those people away, uh, likely that won't go on for much longer. So, wow. Sounds- oh, I, I would suggest, I would suggest him actually that, that that was a good uh, you know, pushback on that. But I, I would say if you were Javier, I, another rebuttal to that would be is, Think about how miserable a lot of these bureaucratic, you know, status jobs are anyways. I mean, you could also sell it with get rid of that stupid, lame government job you got. And you'll get to now go out and enjoy and flourish in the real world and stand on your, you know, you could always make an argument, right? To kind of, you know, embolden and inspire people. But when you were talking earlier about that question, um, was were you referencing the poll you did there, Tim? I didn't reference Napoleon, no. No, the poll. The poll you did on X, you were oh, asking. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Can't understand your Canadian. Yeah, I know, right? That East Coast uh, Canadian slang. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so I, I did a poll um, on Twitter today. You can go to, to Moen underscore Tim if you guys want to want to participate in it. The question I ask, because, and, and this came from a lot of uh, kind of right-wing populists uh, throwing Javi under the bus because he's listed as a WEF affiliate or something like that. And I'm like, well, geez, if I were ever in a position of power and I were invited to Bilderbergs or WEF or the UN, I'd want to go to that. I'd want to find out. I'd want to infiltrate them just like they infiltrate our governments. I'd like to infiltrate them. Why can't we, in, why can't infiltration happen the other way? So I asked, you know, if a libertarian had the opportunity to infiltrate or gain legitimate membership to one of these organizations and go to all their meetings or secret layers and everything else and be part of the discussions. Should they? Yes or no? Should they have the opportunity? I would say, yes, get in there. I mean, I I could even say, look, a a critic of mine could say, I've been in, uh, there's a group in Canada called Civitas. They follow the same rules as Bilderberg. It's called, I think, Chatham Chatham House rules or something like that. In other words, what happens at Civitas stays at Civitas. You don't talk about it outside Civitas. 
It's a secret meeting. Okay. Now, why is it a secret meeting? Uh, I went there to find out and, you know, I wanted to see what people are talking. And, and there are people there like David from the neocon from conservative, who's always banging the drums of war. You know, you, you got powerful MPs and, and all sorts of people at, that go to this meeting. So, you know, a conspiracy theorist might say, well, they're getting together and secretly planning something against population. And, and you could say that with some plausibility because these MPs are part of nefarious schemes of that, that all politicians engage in, whether they're part of a secret meeting or not. But what I found happened at this meeting is, is just, um, like, controversial ideas. Like one guy got up and started talking about, like he was a hardcore libertarian and the, the end of his talk, he said, and if we can't get the state under control, maybe we should just do away with it altogether. Right. To And, and we, I saw a couple of conservative establishment types clutch their pearls and gasp at how could this guy be allowed to speak here? And it's like, but, but the reason it's, it's private and behind closed doors is precisely so that the people there can feel free to speak without being outed for their, whatever they're speaking about, right? Like they might be trial ballooning controversial ideas or debating them or whatever. And they don't want that advertised to the populace because to the populace, they have to remain relatively politically correct, right? Otherwise their career's in jeopardy. So that's what I found happening at this. There was no secret cabals meeting and planning to oppress people but certainly some of the people in that meeting do oppress people but i'm i was glad that there was an, an a fellow anarcho-capitalist at that meeting speaking to these powerful people just like malay did and preaching anarcho-capitalism but was i part of you know just because these politicians now go off and do evil nefarious things that were in that room with me does that make me part of the cabal no i would argue you you would want a guy like me or Javi Malay or Bennett or Daniel to be in these rooms, um, hearing what's going on and, and observing it and maybe even God forbid, influencing them a little bit in the right direction. Yeah, can't agree more. This idea that you can debate, you know, it's insane. Right. Yeah. yeah, I would agree. And like I was mentioned to Tim earlier there when we was we were talking there before going live is, you know, maybe myself, I don't know necessarily if I'd want to go to the WF. I'm not 100% sure on that one. But if people want to partake or do that type of thing, like I say, to me, when it comes down to it, and I, I don't consider myself a minarchist, I'm a philosophical libertarian, basically an anarchist, right? I just, I don't believe in rulers. I just extrapolate the knowledge I have and I make it universally consistent. And while a lot of the state is not legitimate, simple as that. If you, if you do that properly anyways, but... I am not against. Now, of course, we had a lot of fighting going on you know, years ago, uh, but I've matured a lot over, over the years and I've come to realize that, no, matter of fact, the people that are at least trying in some way to get us to that direction where we're at least heading right. towards liberty is, you know, they might have different avenues or approaches they want to take than I would, but I'm not going to belittle them or, or try right. to turn people against them by the sheer fact that, hey, you do your thing. Just think about the competition of ideas, just like anything in the marketplace is the more people we have trying a multitude of things, you know, something's going to be successful or at the very right, least right. we'll know that there's a potential that that will be the case. Whereas if we're all just trying the one size, we're all just, I'm just going to wait until everybody finally wakes up. Well, you know, yeah. it might take a while. 
Well, yeah. And, and I mean, I've pointed out before I pointed out to, I had a PPC supporter on my podcast once and I was asking him, you know, he's, he describes himself as an, and cap as well. And I was like, well, why do you support Bernier? Well, because he has a better chance of winning, but, but I, but I, I had a chat with him afterwards. I said, but look, you know, Paul, Poliev has an even better chance of winning than Max. And I suspect that they probably have very closely aligned political beliefs. Like I, I don't, I think Poliev is just playing a different game than Max, whereas Max is maybe trying to do more what I'm, I was trying to do in waking people up to what, what's going on with the government. Poly, Poliev is playing a different game where he's trying to get votes and work from the inside. And in order to do that, you have to hide those parts of yourselves that are unlikely to help you get elected or that are going to be antithetical to get, getting you elected. So if you're in favor of, a, of pragmatism, of getting someone that shares, maybe you should vote conservative. Like, you know, I know there are, uh, I know there are some secret libertarians in the conservative caucus, right? There was one guy that got caught in Edmonton coming off a plane, one MP, conservative MP, wearing a taxation is theft t-shirt. Now he tried to brush it off when the media attacked him. Said, "Oh, I, you know, I don't really believe that. It was just a, a talking point, or blah blah blah. Just you know, kind of a edgy shirt to get people talking." But I think you and I know that guy secretly is probably a libertarian that just has no balls, right? That just wants to stay in the. Like I don't think that's a very effective way of doing it. Like I, I don't think um, keeping your your light hid under a bush while you're in that position is helping the cause of liberty. But hey, I'm I'm glad those people are still taking up those spots rather than uh, a, an avowed socialist or something like that. That's better. But it seems like Javi is like the best of both worlds because he's not only taking up that spot, but he's actually preaching the gospel that we're trying to preach. And but he's just doing it from a bigger stage than you or I could ever have on our on our meager little podcast here. Mm. Um but let, let's get to some of Daniel, what, what Javi's plans are and what his platform is. Uh, Fanny says, you know, dissolve the central bank and stop using pesos, move to the US dollar. I'm excited to see the raise of Argentina economically, more open to American tourism. So we know he's opposed to central banking. He wants to dollarize the economy, move to, you know, I think he said he eventually wants to get Argentina on a gold standard or something like that. What uh, what are his plans with Argentina? What what where would he like to take it? He actually wants a free competition of different currencies. Okay, you gotta understand Argentinians uh, are in love with the dollar mm. because for many decades the dollar was you know a good currency or maybe the best currency to save on, right? Right. And so Argentinians have a ton of money saved under the bed in dollars. He has, you know, incredible people working on, I think he has like five different plans on standby, right? To, to get to that point. You know, first he's talking about uh, a reduction of government. Um, again, reduction, not in the spending of like welfare, but reduction in areas where it's just uh, bureaucrats, like not doing anything. That's going to lower spending. Then he can do tax cuts. Uh, you know, there's a series of steps that get you to where you can, uh, you know, eliminate the central bank. Right, right. Yeah, and and I think it, uh, you know, it it is incumbent on 
liberty politicians in North America to look very closely at these plans, right? I've often thought, you know, as leader of the Libertarian Party and people asking me, like policy wonk type people asking me questions, well, what would, you know, it's one thing to talk about reducing government, but how would you actually do it? What would you cut first? How would you get us to where you're going, right? And, and so thinking long and hard about that, what what are some things, guys, we could do if we were became King of Canada or Prime Minister of Canada uh, to to get the ball rolling, knowing that we don't have a dictator's power to just like fire all the federal departments and sell off the crown corporations and different things like that. What could we do to get the ball rolling in the direction we want? Uh, me personally. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Daniel. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I, I just thinking because at the end of the day, a lot of this stuff, you know, starts in terms of education. So, you know, a key factor here is, is, you know, creating areas where there's alternative areas or methods. And that's the thing in the information age, it really shouldn't be that difficult. Now, of course you need capital to back it. That's, that's obviously a requirement, but you know, some, some form of education where we're, uh, you know, there's actually competition in the marketplace for education so that right. they're not just getting, you know, your typical academics, but every human being, if you're going to live in, in the world filled with states, I mean, to me, it's just so strange that you, people don't understand what, what government is, what the state is, you know, that that's a baseline kind of education and whether it comes from home, you know, in the family or the community, or, or you actually have any institutions or center for the centers for that purpose. Yeah, that would, would so what play. you're saying is education needs to happen first. A cultural, a cultural mandate needs to happen yeah, first. And yeah, I, I think Javi kind of has that, right? He has a cultural mandate. Let's say we had that in Canada and you became prime minister. You had a cultural mandate, uh, Bennett, to to bring us to a minarchy. What uh, what are the things you would do to get us down to the to a limited government that an objectivist might be happy with? Well, see, that's the thing. I, I personally don't want to become a ruler, so I don't. I right. Don't, right. All, all okay, that, well, don't think all of yourself as a ruler. Of, think think of yourself as a facilitator for liberty. Think of yourself as an anti-ruler, right? You're going to be occupying the spot of a ruler, but your job is to give away all that power and get it back to the people. Well, for, me, for me, I'm, I'm not that great into the arts and, and, and right. kind of other aspects of culture like movies, music, and television, but those things are massive influences. So if I, let's say, had a musical background, you know, I'd write music. That inspired people <laughs> like that. If I was an actor, I would, uh, you know, look for roles or scripts or, or movies that, that inspired people to that, right? Because that's, right. that's, that's a, a great way for people. I know myself as a Gen Xer and a latchkey kid, Basically, this, the television did more of the raising in terms of my actual parents, but you know those things. But me in particular is, I just I actually do it. It's not I'm not even speculating here. I just lead by example. I'm a fallible human being who've come from you know different areas and backgrounds when I was younger that would have been lean more liberal and maybe was convinced of some of the uh, even the redistributive schemes when I was younger. But like I say, I learn these things and I just as I lead by example. Well, I just look in my own own situation with my two sons and the, and the other people that I've influenced friends or, or other family members <clears throat> and that's what has helped all the time it was never necessarily my preaching <laughs> or finger wagging it was the leading by example and showing that actually if you put these things to fruition 
not only does it make you a better person, I mean, I, I think I've yeah. really improved myself over the years, but boy, it certainly helps expand out to your, your circle and it just keeps expanding. The more people I uh, come in contact, even people that I work with now that right. you would never even expect. Right. But, and, and it's not, and I have learned over the years to, it's not the preaching it's just, you know, bringing up key points, right, right, right. sophist or, or sorry, um, Socratic method, asking people questions so they feel like they're in charge and, and thinking through the stuff. Well, awesome. and and it's living living a life in integrity to, right. to your principles, right? I mean, this this yeah. was something they they always taught us when I was an evangelical Christian as a kid. You know, it, it's your your witness, so to speak, is your character, right? Mm. Can can people see a difference in you by virtue of you being a Christian that they're attracted to? Right. Is are you living your life in a way that that's attractive to other people? Right. So taking personal responsibility is more important than going door to door, proselytizing and preaching the gospel, mm. at least in the in the, uh, you know, doctrine that I came up with. in. But um, OK, here's, I was hoping that I'd get you. To here's play. a suggestion. Yes. Go ahead, Daniel. OK, you want to privatize something, right? Tim, right. that's where you're going. Well, I, what LCDL. I was looking for is, is you to engage in a fantasy role play with me where you're king of Canada and you've got a mandate to start rolling things back. How would you do that? Now, Bennett didn't want to play I, with Tim the on his musicals and his uh, art. Daniel, will you play with me here? Will you tell me what you would do? I, I will try to play, but I will echo Ben. Even a king can have a revolution and can be toppled. Okay. And so I will right. echo like you need a cultural revolution first. Right. But if you want to start somewhere, I think the LCBO is a good place to start. I mean, I really don't get how people can support this one single place where you can buy alcohol that has this, you know, uh, not great hours, uh, high costs. Why? I mean, we have neighbors where you can go to a, you know, in, in the States, you can go to a convenience store and get alcohol. I mean, I know that there's a ton of people on Telegram and Facebook delivering, you know, boost like it, what fantasy are we on that we think right, right. that it's the role of the lcbo to sell alcohol right yeah well okay here's here's what I, i've given this some thought right and actually guys that are are listening or watching um go to the libertarian party webpage libertarian.ca look at the platform there uh, a lot of that was developed by yours truly in consultation with a lot of uh, well done, by the way, team. a lot well of done. experts in different the different domains, whether it was family law or First Nations or or firearms or or monetary policy, all that stuff, right? So, uh, you know, first thing we we would do is you know because we wouldn't um, if we're if we're looking at a soft landing, right? Not just ripping everything up and letting things reset in the, in the resulting chaos. If we're looking at a, as I think Adam Kokish ran on a systematic orderly dismantling of the US federal government, right? So if we're looking at doing a, a systematic dismantling of the, the system of repression, uh, what we might start with is like the income tax, right? Like get rid of the income tax in the meantime to fund the basic functions of government like, liber uh, like uh, army, police, courts, um, I, we figured out that GST alone will fund those. So at least with the sales tax, you have some choice in how much taxes you pay, right? You don't have to buy all those consumer goods. It's not still not ideal, but at least it's a step in the right direction towards a more uh, voluntary tax, let's say. Um, then we start 
hacking up laws like get rid of the Canada Health Act, start giving provinces as um, let's see, trading with will says, I want to see more provincial independence, which it should be for education, police, healthcare. Right. So, okay. Um, my, my next thing is, do I impose liberty for all on Canadians and tell them that they have to go private healthcare, private, this private, that, or do I simply let the provinces have that power and don't come over top. Well, I, I lean towards decentralization. I don't want to have a, a, a I don't want to control those jurisdictions and have a, a, a centralized control over them that then an ideological enemy could take over. And if I'm imposing uh, my way of doing things on them, they can impose their way of doing things on them. I don't want to have those mechanisms in place where I'm so I'm dismantling all those mechanisms. We're going to engage in some kind of constitutional reform that if if we're going to have this country called Canada that goes sea to sea and follows the 49th parallel and is this landmass and we're all together in one confederacy or union what is the, what are the things that are holding us together what do does every member of that union have to agree with to be part of the same nation let's say well okay we could we could model it somewhat after the US constitution where free speech uh right to bear arms um we, we probably want to have open borders in our nation, at least, so that people can travel uh, freely across and goods and services can get. Right now, we don't have that, of course. We don't. We can't get our oil to port and stuff. So it's it's not clear what benefit Alberta has to being part of Confederation, for example. We get all the impositions by the Laurentian elite, but we get no benefits by being part of this Confederation. So that might be something. Uh, when it comes to First Nations, we'd want to... Um, we have like the worst of both worlds right now, right? They have uh, some right to self-governance, but they don't have rights to the resources under their feet. Um, they, you know, they they are therefore reliant entirely on government handouts uh, when they could be rich as Saudi sheiks if they wanted to, if they had control over the resources under their feet. So we'd want to renegotiate with First Nations and decide, do you want to be your own separate sovereignty or do you want to be part of the bigger polity, uh, whether that's Alberta or Canada or whatever, uh, that's up to you. We're going to let you decide, but we're no longer going to be breaking your legs or providing you with crutches either. So you're, you're going to be self-sufficient and on your own if you choose to go that route or part of Canada if you choose to go that route. Um, we'd want to move away from central banking. I think Javier outlines a great way of doing that. Ult ultimately, we want a free market in money, right? Um, a first step might be to to go to a gold standard and then get rid of legal tender laws or allow people to use whatever they want as a means of of um, for money essentially and so that might include things like bitcoin we we might do things like create economic free zones where people can can um you know if we couldn't roll back government fast enough what we could do is create these free zones that uh, allow tax exemption and regulation exemption to people and businesses that want to move there and operate outside of the legal infrastructure that imposes that Canada imposes on them and create, you know, flourishing areas like Singapore or something like that. And, and, you know, so those are some of the ideas that, um, that I came up with, but basically, so can, I, can I just say one thing there, Tim, because actually the, one of the main reasons why I kind of skirted the question to a degree was because the, the initial thing that I had on the top of my head, I don't think you could do it, 
in our style of uh, politics uh, as the the federal, like the prime minister, but because I think a lot of the stuff is kind of in the jurisdiction of the provinces. But the main thing for me would be if there was a way to legalize competition, that would be, uh, you know, that would be a huge undertaking if you could just legalize right. actual competition in, in all areas, right? Yeah. Of the economy or even. Right. And, and legalize competition in the political realm too for gov different governance, right? Like if Alberta is way better, is able to do something radically different than BC, mm. let them. Let's right. let's see what experiment works the best, right? Um, yeah. yeah, here's uh, Trading Will's comment. The Let national solution is tough due to Quebec's situation for seats. Uh, Alberta is starting to mimic Quebec that has its own pension, etc. Read Corey Morgan's Sovereignist Handbook. Yeah, I highly recommend you read that book. I had Corey Morgan on here. You can look back in my archives mm -hmm. and see that uh, interview I did with Corey Morgan. Essentially, what he's doing, what what he lays out, is a map for secession, right? And and it's similar. I just talked to, I just interviewed um, Mark from the the Free Province Project. Uh, he's in New Mark Brunswick, your your neck of the woods, there, Bennett. Yep. And um, he, that's what he's doing. He's trying to create a culture of liberty in New New Brunswick. They have about seven hundred people so far signed up. You can go to uh, can't remember the name of the website. Free Project. Free province project. Yeah, look up the free province project. There's a sign up list. I highly recommend, even if you don't go there, even if you're not planning to, sign up and, and follow them and see what they're they're doing, and watch for my podcast to drop uh, sometime this week with him. But essentially, he's following that sovereignist handbook, which is look, we want to get enough liberty lovers in this one area to uh, to be able to you know pack heat if they want and say no to mandates and and you know not be bullied around at that point you know if they they have enough power they have they, they can threaten a referendum to secede now he he wants to remain part of canada ideally but he thinks that just having the power to secede the mandate from the people to be able to do that they they could get the feds to leave him alone so that might be uh, one option, but you know, I, I was thinking, I've been thinking a lot about this too, about why, you know, about patriotism, national, uh, what, what is a nation? What is a state? What is the difference between all these things? And if like a lot of states emerge because there was a nation there first, right? There was uh, a common people held together by common ancestry beliefs, that sort of thing. And geography, whether it's mountains, rivers, oceans, whatever, that, that kind of kept that uh, uh, a distinct population and then a, a state would emerge. But Canada did not did not emerge like that at all, right? And you can tell by how straight our southern border is. It's a straight damn line. If you look at a lot of nations in the old world, they're all jagged and all over the place. They follow geographical things. They actually kind of roughly encapsulate a nation, right? What a nation is of, of similar people with similar ideas and, and different things like that. But Canada started out as a state, uh, right? It started out by plunder and conquest. And it was all these disparate pe people, whether it was Quebecois, First Nations, all the immigrants that came. Uh, no one, you know, had the same um, values or common things. So, but they, we were forced to integrate together under the state. So when people are patriotic to Canada. What they are patriotic to is a tax farm 
um, imposed on us by our rulers, right? It's it's them that decided who Canada was, not us. Uh, we didn't choose this nation. We we were just shot out into this nation and became a citizen as a result. So what are we exactly patriotic to here? What are we, uh, uh, you know, what? And, and so I've been thinking a lot about this, guys. And how do we, you know, the I, I'm reading this book. I uh, highly recommend. I've, I've been talking a lot, a lot about it on my podcast. It's called The Network State. And it's all, the, the guy's idea is basically he outlines how to become a stateless nation in a sense, right? Given the technology we have now with, with crypto uh, technology, the networks, the robust things, um, you know, he says it's, it's no longer becoming necessary okay. to all congregate in the same territory to create a nation that will protect you against the state essentially, right? What we want to do, what we want is a nation, a group of people that have similar beliefs, similar principles, that don't want to be fucked with. I just want to be left alone and, and have a, a big enough group with enough money and resources to protect against the state is really what we need. So that's one of the things I've been thinking a lot about recently. And maybe the path to liberty, like you said, um, Bennett, isn't about um, ha finding our Javi Malay or a political process or constantly fighting against the state. Maybe it's about building something building our own nation that makes the state irrelevant. And so I've been thinking a lot about this and, and I'm, I'm looking forward to finishing off this book and, and reading all the, the technical um, uh, options available to try to make this happen, to create a sort of nation that, that, you know, the final step, there's, there's like a seven step process. The first is to basically form essentially a club, an online club around one big idea, right? Whatever that one big idea is, ours would probably be Liberty or something like that. There's other ones out there that are like van life or something about living, you know, but ours would be about Liberty, getting people signed up, up for that, acquiring property, um, you know, having an on a, a, a census that is, updated every 10 minutes via uh, blockchain or something like that. So, you know, what the, the, you know, he talks about capturing your nation's history on the blockchain. So it can never be fucked with by propagandists and stuff like that. Right. And all these different things, the final step, the seventh step, I believe is achieving uh, dip diplomatic recognition. And that is having so many people and so much property throughout the world in different archipelagos or whatever that you could actually uh impose or negotiate with other nation states um you know you one of your citizens gets in trouble somewhere there's a state threatening it you could step in with your diplomat you know your your sovereignty your diplomatically recognized sovereignty and rescue them or or protect them different things like that so that's where my mind is at right now what are your guys thoughts Go ahead, Daniel. Fascinating. I haven't heard about this before. Uh, sounds really interesting. I have to look into it. Yeah, I highly recommend it. It's called the Network State. Oh, yeah, there's the uh, New Brunswick Project. Yeah, new, I'll, I'll put the link to that below um, so those watching the recording can can catch it. Um, yeah. Uh, well, actually, let, yeah, let me just mention this because uh, that's actually one of the, the things that and I would have never known, although I kind of suspected. So as far as you're talking about that stuff now, this is going to be along the same lines. 
is when I ordered my Starlink from Elon Musk, I already knew the guy had obviously libertarian leanings. You could just tell by the way he talked and, and, right. and you know, just, just something about the man that you could kind of draw upon to say, yeah, this guy kind of, he's kind of a fellow traveler anyways. But when I got my, received my Starlink, which was so great because in rural New Brunswick, just, oh, just terrible, terrible, terrible internet. And now that I have this great internet service, just for the heck of it, I was reading through, you know, the, the agreement, the terms of service and use and all that stuff. And amazingly, I screen captured. I wish I had ahead it with me here, actually, because I've shared it in past live streams. It's amazing. Now, as long as you're here on the earth, right, the states exist here, all 200 plus of them. So can't really do much there or in the upper atmosphere. But in the contract, the minute you leave earth and you're outside of the atmosphere, you know, orbiting, doesn't matter as long as you're not within the jurisdiction of the earth or commuting to mars or on mars it's literally stated in there that there is no there's no not going to be any form of government so you know you want to set up a colony kind of like international mars. waters yeah basically yeah so and, and if you read the whole thing like i say it'd be nice if i had it in front of me just to read it to you but it's, it's basically written as if like as if a libertarian were writing a document right. okay there's no states here folks it's just a contract obligation you have to hold yourself i have to hold myself we you know we hold we'll have arbiters kind of deal and to me, that's that's the beautiful thing about this whole idea and concept. Now, of course, I'm with the like you were saying earlier about the people want this you know, go from the inside. You know, even like Ron Paul, so many people learned about the man, and he even said himself while he was running, "Yeah, I don't expect to win more or less for the most part." Right. <laughs> but you want. But he to made more message. libertarians than any other person. I know right, exactly. That. It was yeah. the message, right? It was the message yeah. that just resonated so well with people. And and to me, that's the thing. I'm, I'm not against the people that want to do that. Go ahead fill your boots but yes let's and like you were kind of alluding to earlier let's build alongside because just with anything like just like my example like people would probably if you give them the choice do you want to live close to bennett right he's not going to steal your shit he's not going to you know do or do you want so that's the thing build things that will gravitate people towards you know that that liberty oriented way of living that live let live mentality and i think most people even the ideologues among us they put up the rhetoric but in reality, most people don't want to be ruled over. They just believe themselves right. to be in the position. The, the leftists today believe that, oh, I'm on the, the side of the ruler, so I'm going to benefit at everyone else's expense, right? The minute the shoe was on the other foot, they'd be turning anarchist in yeah, yeah. short order, right? Yeah. So to me, that yes, let's build alongside as much as we can. We recognize there's a huge regulatory state that's going to prevent some of that. But that even comes back to the idea of Mark and the um, FPP is, Let's build along, do as much as we can. And yes, you know, community by community. And eventually that is just one way where you do genuinely create that culture. No force involved. Right. You're not breaking any laws. Right. Yeah. That's, and if you can, and if you can provide some value, then people will even pay you right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a voluntary fee to be part of your nation. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's certainly what happened. I learned the power of this um, when I fought for my colleagues and uh, other firefighters and healthcare professionals here against the VAX mandate, right? It started an organization called Fight for the Frontline, got thousands of people on board you know, doing collective action and um, fighting uh, against the state. And we won, right? And that was, in a sense, like a micro nation that imposed, that, that gained some power, enough power to protect its citizens its members mm -hmm. and and so that made me re realize okay well that was something valuable right yeah. um and and you know if you were 
able to pay, say, $20 a year to be part of something like that, mm. uh, and you ever found yourself in trouble and that nation could protect, that would be something valuable to have. So sure. uh, <clears throat> that was something I was thinking of. But you brought up Elon Musk, and this is also something I've, I've thought about. My mind goes these places; it goes places oh, yeah. for some reason. Yeah. What what would your rules of governance be if you were Elon Musk? How much of Mars would you claim, and how would you what what kind of rules would you impose, or how would you create a culture of liberty uh, on Mars? Um, you know, because a lot of us are eyeing up Mars as hey, maybe that'd be a good place to retire, get us away from uh, these uh, global uh, governments that seem to be corrupt and, and tyrannical. What, what would you, what would you do if you're Elon Musk? Cause he, he's well, even talked about this, right? He's, I think right. he's, he's put, put out feelers. Like what, like, what are some ideas about how Mars should be governed? Um, hmm. if, if we're going to set up a colony there, we have to think about the rules. Like wh yeah. what are they? Yeah, well, for sure. Well, obviously, you know, you'd go along with the, the non-aggression principle, you know, self-ownership property rights. It would be the key fundamental principles of, of your society and of course when you're talking about how much land well just like what i would believe what even here on, on on earth right is whatever you can use you know and actually make it productive you know like you don't right. get to go to mars and just say i own all of mars just like i yeah, always yeah. Joke, joke around with people when they talk about the first nations versus the colonies i say that or the colonists, the, you know, the, the people from Europe, no, they don't get to claim all North, North America as their own, and neither do any tribes or First Nations. Sorry, you don't get to claim right. that you own entire right, continents, right? right? Yeah. So that, to me, is, is yes. If you can make it a productive, you know, you know land and do something with it, then you know, that's your land. And, and as far as the contract, well, there would be no state, but there would be, like you say, well, now we have access to smart contracts through the blockchain, right? And, you know, if right. you want the currencies, currencies, competing currencies, of course, would be completely acceptable. Right. And, uh, you know, maybe some people would choose to use like a blockchain base, like a cryptocurrency. Some people might want to do it the old fashioned way. You know, put money in these things called banks and actual right. that, that money there as actual reserve capital, you know, instead of the fractional thing. There's, there could be a multitude of things. Once again, to just legalize competition, which it wouldn't be up to me anyways to determine. Right. You know, whether something is legal or illegal, it's just that everything would be done. And if you start, if your baseline is starting from that point and then everyone that moves to Mars, that's all they'll know is that, yes, we treat people with you know, voluntary means. We don't use force against you. you know, right. Once that's conducive to your culture, I mean, other than solidifying it and, and, and reinforcing it to a degree through your cultural aspects and drivers. Like I say, I'm a live, let live kind of guy. You see how that's going to work. Yeah. Daniel, you got any ideas about how to, how to set up Mars? Um, I don't think my ideas are close to what Elon Musk would come up with. <laughs> I would say this. I mean, he often talks about, he often talks about how, you know, mass manufacturing is orders of magnitude more complex than prototypes. Right. Wow. And it reminds me of what you were saying, Tim, about switching, for example, Canada from the way it is now to a libertarian Canada, like switch the switching, seems to be orders of magnitude more complex than the setting up. And so, yes, like you're right. Like you want to set it up right from the beginning. And I, you know, Ben, like you're saying, I think the common sense is take up what you will use and then no one can sort of dispute that. I mean, you go there, you used it. Why wouldn't it be yours? Sure. Yeah. The, the idea of Lockean homesteading, right? Like you mix your labor with nature and that becomes yours or you appropriate, you know, so I, I would imagine Mars, I'd want to set up Mars, something similar to that. I mean, the first colony that arrived there, 
I would probably have some pretty um, strict rules, right? Like the first settlers there that are going in there under my dome, breathing my air, breathing all the things that I'm providing, uh, they better contribute to the endeavor or I don't want them. Um, you know, or they, they threaten the survival of people there. So there's going to be, but at a certain point, I'd also say you're free to leave and set up your own colonies with a different set of rules. Um, you know, there's the door, there's the airlock. You take your, your, uh, you know, what we've paid you and, and build something out there. Uh, and that can be your community. You can set up your own rules there and people that live under your dome, uh, can, can, have whatever kind of contractual arrangement. Now, the difference here between that being a government and uh, private, privately owned communities is that you would have a, a contract with those private communities, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it would be like setting up a private si city here in, in Canada. In fact, uh, one of my friends, G G Gabriel Shear, is trying to do that in Saskatchewan right now. He, he bought 500 acres of farmland. His idea is he's broken it down to square feet. And he's selling these square feet, <clears throat> their square feet for, I can't remember how much, pretty, pretty cheaply. Uh, your title to however many square feet you bought is like an NFT. It's like a, a blockchain, um, crypt, cryptographically verifiable deed that you can then sell to other people, trade, what, do whatever you want. Um, and you can pitch, you can buy a hundred square feet and pitch a tent. You can buy 5,000 square feet, and build a mansion can do what you want with your property there. And then eventually he wants to incorporate into a municipality, although he's finding that there's a lot of rules and regulations that he's coming up against in doing that, where he can have his own private police, fire, whatever services they decide as a community they want together. Well, I would imagine, so So if you set up a private, um, a private city, what you would do is develop a bunch of land, try to attract buyers, They'd have to put up houses. You'd probably have some rules about architectural controls because you wouldn't want a little bum shanty next to uh, uh, someone who invested in a large fancy mansion or something like that. So you'd you'd probably have some rules about making the community livable. Uh, there'd be a yearly fee for me to maintain things like the roads that I build and maybe water and other services that you would want from me. Um and, but there would also be a contractual agreement, right? This is where it would differ from current An actual contract. An actual one contract. That, one that Lysander right. Spooner would be proud of. Right. So if I didn't fill in the potholes or if I didn't take away your garbage or provide you with water, you would actually have immediate uh, access to justice. You wouldn't have to wait four years to vote in another guy and go through a whole political process. There would actually be an explicit contract. And so I could imagine Mars evolving something like that. You move into one of these communities there's a reciprocal contract. I agree to provide you things that make it enjoyable to live in this community. And you agree to abide by the rules and contribute this certain amount in order to make sure you're not a parasite on the community that's going to make it collapse if we get enough of them, right? So that's kind of how I thought about it. That, that would be described as an anarcho-capitalist world because it's all privately owned, privately run property. It's none of this public owned where, um, you know, you, you can attract all sorts of free riders and the politicians never have to suffer any personal consequences. The people in charge never suffer any personal consequences. No, I would, I would go destitute if I didn't provide what I said I was going to provide. And so I, I have every incentive, but yeah, I think, uh, I think it's an interesting, um, 
interesting thought experiment anyways, because it, yeah. it can then inform how we might set things up here on earth, right? Yeah, and can I just point out, that? because I'll, I'll even steal, man, anyone that might be watching this live stream is saying, well, it could end up, what you guys are suggesting is you could end up with basically what we have here today is just a bunch of individual states, right? We're, we're not claiming them to be states, but they could end up being being states at the end of the day right and just to just to acknowledge that you know i accept that there, there's always that potential and even though now you know the people that we're talking about if they were educated informed properly and thinking about liberty well maybe who's to say hundreds of years down the road you know a bunch of sophists didn't convince all of the martian people right to now all of a sudden accept the state so once again <clears throat> i'm not naive in in the fact of believing that you know, my thought experiment or Tim's thought experiment or Daniel's thought experiment <clears throat> is going to lead to this utopian world that we all hope that we could live in. But <clears throat> what I can say, though, is if you have the ability to, de to defend yourself, if you treat people with dignity and respect, there's no guarantee with anything in life, no matter if you're living here on Earth or in Mars. But I, I what once again, I found that if you at least allow freedom to actually flourish it's more conducive because of the personal responsibility aspect of that that's right. that's the key factor is the personal responsibility because i think yeah. that's what's removed once you bring the state into well and and, and and the problem is that you're always going to have people that are looking to make their life more comfortable by by outsourcing their personal responsibility right, right? and they'll yeah. claim but what about the poor what about the kids what about this what about that and you know, it's all just a projection to avoid having to take personal responsibility themselves. It, it's not my responsibility to feed the kids or my neighbor who's falling on a hard time. That's that should be the state. Our our community as a whole should look after them, not uh, you know, and and it should be done by force, right? Uh, here's a, here's a comment from. You know, sorry, go ahead. So, sorry, Tim. You know what I would love to. You know what I would love to see is a lot of these ideas in video, like movie format. Because right. a lot of this is inaccessible to most people who are not nerds of libertarian yes. ideas. I would yes. love to see a movie where it's a libertarian village. I would love right, to see right. a movie where you give with visual examples all these Austrian economics principles. You know, well, about, we have that, Daniel. I mean, Haven't you ever watched know. Mad Max? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't watched that movie, no. Oh, yeah. I didn't well, know that was course, libertarian. Uh, libertarianism is always portrayed as dystopian chaos in most movies, but you're right. It'd be nice to, to see a different yeah. thing. Um, I, top I, there, market. There's this, uh, well, I think you and Bennett are on the same lines. I mean, you're both been talking about making movies now. Maybe you guys need to get together and do something. <laughs> hey, um, I, I firmly believe, like I say, I, I just, I can't help but think. And of course I'm, that's my own subjective experience growing up though, is a lot of the things that I learned, even a lot of the, the ethics, it wasn't necessarily from the, that was, that was pumped in my head it was just a lot of these tv shows or movies it was kind of baked into it you know the setting there was the right yeah i mean the, the cosby world. show revealed what a nice father would look like <laughs> i mean never mind the fact that he was yeah exactly. raping people off camera yeah. but right you know, we yeah. didn't see that right yeah yeah, yeah we sure. uh here's uh Sonico says is that a dig at female astronauts who were the first to commit space theft and loot and losing a toolbox they needed better women, not diversity. Yeah, he's he's referring to, I don't know if you guys saw this, but it was the first all-female spacewalk NASA oh. did. Uh, I think it was last week or something like that. And they they dropped the toolbox. And so now oh. there's this giant toolbox that you, that's visible from Earth, apparently, uh, <laughs> orbiting, orbiting uh, uh, Earth, joining all the space junk. So 
Uh, yeah, it wasn't a dig, Sonico. At at no, I was I wasn't thinking about females there. I was just thinking about about general parasites, people who uh, don't want to take responsibility for being part of a community or something like that. You know, and and libertarians, look, we we often talk about liberty and we give the wrong impression that what we want is liberty and no responsibility, right? And I think Jordan Peterson's right. For too long, we've been talking about we need freedom from government and not we haven't been talking enough about taking personal responsibility ourselves. And that involves like, what are the solutions we're creating, right? And and the fact that there's there's always going to be responsibility. If you're living in community with people, um, you have a responsibility. And whether that responsibility is is dictated to you by the state, which creates chaos, or whether it's uh, a consensual arrangement you have with the community uh, and, and the infrastructure owner. Uh, I mean, there's going to be rules regardless. There's rules in my own private house. You can't sit at my table and badmouth and offend, call my wife names, okay? There's no free speech in the Moen household, you could say. But of course, as libertarians, we know that all rights are property rights. And the same thing that allows me to kick you out on your ass for offending my wife also says that you have to keep your mitts off me when I say something behind in my private domain that you disagree with. You can't take my money or shut me up. So uh, it's all property rights. Um, let's see if there's any more comments here. Actually, can I just add a little bit to that? Because yeah. actually I used to hear too, especially early on when I first started learning about libertarians, is some people would accuse libertarians. Oh, you just want, the way you're talking, you just want, like you live in a hedonistic society where everybody's right. just doing everything. There's no, you know, there's, there's no morality. And actually, for a while, I was I was trying to think through that. Is it is that really the case? Because I, I suppose that might have been the potential is everybody gets their freedoms and people just automatically gravitate to these terrible things. But in reality, the truth of the matter is, the more free I have made my own situation, the more liberty I have taken, the more independence I have taken. Actually, the more and the more responsibility, the less chance of me actually doing any of these things that I might have done in the past where I could offload those costs right, right to someone else. So actually, in reality, yeah. and to some people, because of the way they've been taught, and, and I, even myself in, in my younger years, is it's, it's counterintuitive to them. But no, actually, that that personal liberty thing and the personal responsibility, that it's a key factor. Actually, it's not even just like with Ayn Rand with objectivism. It's not because the people are going to do I don't. I don't expect people to just all be altruistic, but what I do know that it's intrinsic in human nature to be all about themselves, right? And making sure they take care of themselves. It's, it's how we flourish as a species, right? Well, so that's the beautiful thing about and, and, economics. And people, and people are more charitable when they're flourishing, right? I mean, in Fort McMurray, yep. Fort, Fort McMurray, when I lived there was the most charitable per capita community in Canada. Why? Yeah. Well, because we are all very well off, lots of oil money flowing, lots of work, lots of people flourishing. And as a result, we wanted to, we felt charitable, we gave, right? And so that's, that's the first thing, right? Is don't, don't uh, throw obstacles up to flourishing and then you, you'll get more charity. But, but, you know, you're, you're right. I've often said that a libertarian society is much more culturally conservative because now you have to bear the consequences of your vices and your bad behavior, right? If you, you're free to do drugs, you're free to, be debaucherous and hedonistic and live for short-term gratification, but you also have to pay for that. That's not outsourced to the rest of the population. And as a result, uh, I think you get much more um, 
uh, socially conservative type behavior, right? People restraining themselves and thinking about tomorrow because they're going to have to pay the consequences. You know, uh, I can't outsource eating, you know, 10 bags of Cheetos a day to the status healthcare system. I'm going to have to pay a bit more in healthcare premiums or something like that, right? I can't, uh, you know, being a drug addict, I'm going to have to, I'm going to hit rock bottom a lot sooner um, because I don't have government continually bailing me out and I'm going to have to get my shit together. Um, you know, so, so I think you're right. I think that, that, um, a, a libertarian society creates more social conservatism, but I also think it works the other way too, that the more disciplined, the more discipline you impose on yourself, let's say the more freedom you actually have, the more choices are available to you in your life. You know, I've, I've been doing this program called 75 hard for the last 50 days or so. I got another 25 to go, but two a day workouts, um, no alcohol, eating a strict diet, reading 10 pages a day. And man, I feel great. I feel like much more capable to deal with the world at, you know, at, at work. I, I can kick more ass as a firefighter. I can do more things. And, um, you know, it, it, it gives me more options. I'm looking sexy to my wife, you know, I'm having, I'm getting more luck in that department, more choices available to me guys, uh, because of that discipline that I've imposed on myself. And, and, and so I think if we reverse engineer the state, one, one of the things that's become very clear to me in the last oh, five years, at least is exactly what Jordan Peterson is saying, which is you take more responsibility, you get more personal freedom you, you spread that out and influence other people to do the same pretty soon. We're on a, on a path towards Liberty. Um, so, and I think that's kind of what you, you said. No one's against letting you do what you want to do. Like for example, working out twice a day, you know, uh, studying a given religion, no one's against any of that. All of a sudden, when you want to make a decision that they perceive is bad for you, let's say you wanted to sell your labor under the minimum wage, uh level right then all of a sudden people are saying no you don't you shouldn't have the freedom to do right. that i'm not gonna let you know yeah. they are against that it's unbelievable like not all rules yeah. are the same right mm. exactly exactly yeah as uh actually can i ask daniel a question kind of a little bit off but it, it come to my head and i don't want to forget it again but i was just curious because one of the the things that he mentioned in his uh in his speeches multiple times as i was listening to javier was the end of the central bank now it's a republic. I'm just curious. Do, in his position, does he need to get everyone on board? Like, what, can he actually end the central bank? Are you are you familiar with the laws and how it that seems works? like he needs? It seems like he needs Congress to approve, and he has a minority, so it looks like it's going to be tough. But he's in, he's resourceful. He might figure out a way to do it without. Right, because I did notice that I I was reading something earlier even about how the IMF has even suggested. I think it might have been a Reuters article. But I think even the IMF has said that they might like kind of try to work with them. And this is a guy that said he's going to end the central bank because they have. I really. Yeah, go ahead. I really hope they do work with him. He has um, proposed many times to do a, a poll. Uh, I don't know what you call it, a referendum. But for the referendum to be binding, the Congress still has to approve that. And so he does ultimately depend on Congress. Mm. Okay, interesting, interesting. Sorry, sorry that I interjected. No, that in there. I just. I well, just... I mean, it, it goes to show you what he's up against, right? Mm. Mm. How difficult okay. it's going to be to implement those reforms. So hopefully, people come that keep that in mind when they, um, when they're criticizing him or or evaluating him and his effectiveness. But um, 
yeah, I mean, he's up against it there. Like someone said, uh, the sword of Damocles is hanging over him. But he does seem like a strong character, someone who has a lot of charisma, a lot of will. In that way, I can kind of see how comparisons to Trump hold up. Um, you know, he's Trump was kind of immune to criticism. If there was criticism, he got stronger. And I see Javi Malay kind of being that type of personality that is only going to get stronger the more he's criticized. Um, so bring the hate, I guess, right? <laughs> it depends who criticizes you, right? If the mainstream media criticizes you and no one believes in them, then that's almost like, you know, they're they're saying something positive about him, right? But there's a lot of similarities between him and Trump, for sure. Sonico says money cannot be printed and capped somehow, not informed enough to think of a solution at this time. Well, at one time it could be capped, right? Um, when it was on the gold standard, there you couldn't print more money than there was gold in reserves, and so the buying power of money only went up, right? Because as you got more goods and services in the market, but the same amount of money, same amount of gold, well, that meant that gold would buy more, that your money would buy more. And so it was actually a deflationary currency, which is, seems ideal to me. I mean, if my money could sit in the bank without any interest rates and just gain buying power, um, well, now I have, I, I can... I have incentivized to save and in saving, I now have capital to deploy into the means of production. I can uh, build a business. I can, um, you know, uh, start manufacturing things. And, you know, that that's one of the things that, that Javi brings is an actual proper economic view to the situation. Most Keynesians say that consumption precedes production, right? Or that we have to increase consumption. We need to lower the interest rate so people buy more houses, get more loans, buy more things. And then we can see that the GDP is going up, that uh, every, you know, because we're buying more. But what actually happens is production obviously has to precede consumption. If the thing isn't produced yet, you can't consume it. And what causes production? Well, you have to be able to save money in order to do that. And if you're not saving any money because the interest rates are so low and your buying power is getting willed away, well, how are you ever going to invest in the means of production? How are you ever going to have a flourishing society with more goods and services, more abundance and more flourishing? Um, well, you can't. And Javi understands this. And that's why I think we're so excited. And so, you know, like uh, like Daniel said, his first move is to dollarize the economy, go on the American dollar and get rid of his central bank. Well, we know that the American dollar isn't capped, right? They're printing more and more of it. However, it's still com in comparison to the Argentinian peso, it is, it, it's printed at a far lower rate, right? Instead of 150% yes. inflation, we're down at closer to 10%. And so Argentinians understand that that'll be a huge improvement. And then if you can move from that to a gold standard, well, now you, you no longer even have any inflation. If anything, you have deflation, you have your buying power increasing uh, because the, the money supply is capped. And, you know, now we've got savings and production going into overdrive. Uh, and then, then if you move away from gold into just a free market in money, uh, well, now you can go with whatever is best, right? Maybe it's Bitcoin. Bitcoin has all the quality of gold. It's scarce. There's only going to be a limited amount. Um, but it's much more practical than gold in that you can send it across the world instantaneously and you can walk around with 
millions of dollars in your head. If you remember the 23 character uh, code across borders and wherever you want, you don't have to lug uh, suitcases <laughs> that, that weigh thousands of pounds around to carry your wealth around anymore. So there's a lot of benefits to Bitcoin. But maybe maybe it's Ethereum. Maybe it's something else someone comes up with. And that's the... Well, the, even better, a specific tool for each job, right? You will be able to choose one right. for each different kind of thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So I have I have another question there, Tim, and either one of you could answer if, if you know sure. the answer to that is it. Um, so I had talked to, I'm not sure if you ever saw that. It's been a couple of years now since I interviewed the man because uh, I talked to a couple other people as it pertains to the modern monetary theory. You're, you're familiar with that, right? MMT. And the gentleman that I spoke to, he's basically one of the, the main guys behind. I think everyone more or less suggested that he is the, the brains behind the idea of modern monetary theory, where basically it takes Keynesianism and puts it on steroids, where literally just government, it's when you, you tax to kind of deflate, you, you spend. Right. And then you, so anyways, I talked to this Warren Mosler character and, and, and if you listen to that, and then of course I've even, and I could share that too, if you folks are familiar or you want to, but I even listened to a CBC radio program where they were even talking about this stuff. So this is something that uh, the central planners in Canada in particular are, are, I think they're actually trying to put this in and implement it. That's, I think that's why he, when Trudeau came about and said that debts and deficits don't matter, that sounds exactly mm -hmm. <clears throat> like someone that's a proponent of modern yeah. monetary theory. Yeah. And I'm wondering, is that something that has also been taking place and perhaps is a major contributing factor to the uh, inflation that's taken place down there and why Javier has, has won this election in Argentina. Are you familiar, both of you, Daniel or, or Tim, is MMT basically how the, the economy is run in Argentina currently? Yes, absolutely. And that's something that I learned because of Javier. And for the right. past 20 years, the both governments in Argentina, meaning the left government and the sort of left with good manners government, they both um, have really blamed inflation on greedy uh, business owners and no one said anything about printing, etc. And so absolutely, yes, that's why. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah, I mean, look, it, politicians and the, the ruling classes are going to gravitate to whatever uh, theory comes out of um, the the academy that mm -hmm. promotes them getting more power and what promotes them getting more power is the ability to, um, to, to print money. Right. We know that. And so if MMT is the, the thing that gets them more money, then they're going to support that. And they're going to mm -hmm. produce all the academy is going to produce all sorts of scholarship to back that up. So, right. um, yeah. And, you know, of course we have what Sonico here says, definitely not the IMF digital currency they're building. That's for sure. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the next step, right? Is CBDC, Central Bank Digital Currencies, uh, which will dramatically uh, incre improve, increase the ability of governments to control how you use your money, how it's dispersed. Um, and they can do things in theory like social credit scores or some version thereof. We've already seen some versions of that with our own system, right? With uh, Jeremy McKenzie and some others getting their bank accounts, um, uh, you know, confiscated or, or, yeah. uh, shut down the ability to, to transfer Bitcoins and all those things. So, 
you know, the, this is uh, a huge concern. And it, that's why it's so great to see a guy like Javi uh, hopefully make some inroads and show us the way to get, get away from this. Um, but certainly we need to be aware of this and we need to, you know, employ personal solutions that protect us from this, whether that's crypto, whether it's hard, hard, precious metal, whether it's, um, you know, whatever it is, uh, we need to be concerned about that guys. We're coming up on two hours. I know Daniel has to go, um, should probably wrap it up. Anything you guys want to add before we sign off? I just have one more question. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Give her ask one more question is, does that, well, actually it's kind of two, but uh, so does, does Xavier, does he know a lot of guys or girls doesn't matter either way, but you know, CEOs in, in that own like major corporations or big business type people or he does. Okay. Cause to Absolutely. me, this is a, okay. Cause well, to me, the, the, the reason why I asked that question is in each perspective country, the big thing, and it kind of causes me curious, although I know they're kind of captured through the regulatory state, but it shocks me almost daily. Well, not daily, but on a regular basis that where are these CEOs when you're talking about all these massive price increases or well, when they, they brought in the CEOs of the grocery stores there and the, the federal government, the liberals brought them in. Where are these like, brave CEOs that are standing up and trying to explain that I, I don't want to raise my prices. There's, there's no reason i'm already making a certain amount of profit here and even if the price increase i'm still making making the th save three percent profit it's just my suppliers are charged x amount so now my bottom line is basically on par and, and so where are the business leaders in in all of our prospective countries or does javier have access to people that are getting out there and helping to properly explain you know the fundamentals of where that inflation comes from because i just like all of you when i talk to young people they're in particular, not just, but primarily because of what they're taught in school, is they genuinely believe that the price of things, even though like all the innovation, the creativity, all the entrepreneurs that have, you know, a loaf of bread was what, you know, if you go back a hundred years ago, it was what, a penny or five cents, right? I mean, what makes people think that uh, that same loaf of bread that can now be produced like almost in instantaneously compared to what it could be, how it was done a hundred years ago, how come all those efficiencies, we're not seeing that in the price, right? Why is the price going up by leaps and bounds? Like, even if you don't understand economics, to me, if you're a young person, you should at least be inquisitive or curious as to the why. And who are the people out there that are offering the answers? And that's that's all I got. Ben, I think there are, if you ask, yeah, like if you're asking where are the CEOs, I think they're in one or two places. They're either in bed with government and they don't want to say anything because they're getting benefits somehow, or they're literally scared. Uh, the the unions and all that, those people in Argentina have tremendous power and influence. And I think it's really those two. Um, yeah. Javier was the chief economist in one of the biggest uh, companies in Argentina. So he definitely knows a lot of CEOs. Yeah. Well, I, I would agree with that, Daniel. I, I, I see, you know, what it, it's risky if you're a CEO of one of these big corporations to talk about how government policy is why your prices are rising. Why? Mm -hmm. Because A, you're either in bed with government and it, it's creating uh, monopoly privileges for you to operate in the marketplace, or um, you are worried about a government fiat ruining your businesses the way they ruined businesses during COVID, right? You speak mm -hmm. out against the government at your own peril. You speak out against uh, DEI or any of these 
you know, social justice policies at your own peril, um, you know, the public could turn against you. So corporations are generally very risk averse. And I think that's why they don't talk about it. And so we can just let Jagmeet Singh run away with the, <laughs> the explanation that corporations are greedy. That's why prices are so high as if corporations suddenly just got greedy in the last two years. And mm -hmm. that explains it. Suddenly they got greedy. They were never greedy before, uh, but now they are. And now that's why prices have gone up. But of course, that's no explanation. You and I know the reason why the prices are going up. And, um, you know, it's uh, it has to do with government. So, yeah. all but right. Before you before you tie this up, I just want to say thank you very much, Tim, for hosting this. This is a great chat. And I really appreciate uh, having a chance to talk to you too, Daniel. Uh, you seem like a very wise guy yourself. And like I say, at least we're starting to see something happening somewhere. And it's, you know, for us libertarians, you know, any little thing, right, kind of inspires us even more. So I, I'm pretty happy today just to know that at least there's some little bit of a bright spot. It might not be necessarily in my backyard, but it's somewhere. And once again, you don't know where that's going to take and how contagious that could be, especially now that things are getting worse and worse. Because as we all know, you know, if things get bad enough for people, as and as, as our Argentina is showing the way, is if you make things bad enough for people long enough, well, yeah. you know, these kind of ideas seem like they might very well come to light and flourish, and, and we're hoping right. for the best. Well, and and I mean, on on the corporate front too, we're starting to see see change as well, right? Like I, I don't know if you saw this, but um, uh, Bud Light is now a sponsor of the UFC. Okay, why are they a sponsor of the UFC? Two questions here. One, why would Bud Light approach the UFC, a very masculine, very politically incorrect organization to be associated with? And two, why would Dana White, a very politically incorrect, speak your mind, Trump supporting MAGA type guy, uh, allow Bud Light, uh, given its current brand tarnishing, to be part of the UFC? Well, Dana White said on a podcast recently that I've talked to the CEO of Bud Light. He's one of us. You know, they made a mistake. You know, they sent out these cans to thousands of influencers. One of them happened to be this guy guy who got all sorts of traction and, and hate. And they realized they made a mistake. Don't don't judge Bud Light off that one thing. Right. And so we see Bud Light trying to repair its brand and going more towards politically incorrect things like that. Another thing from the UFC, um, Peloton, the company, I don't know if you saw this, uh, I was listening to um, what's his name, the the redneck comedian there. Ah oh, man, Theo Theo Vaughn. Theo Vaughn. Oh yeah, he had Peloton as a sponsor, and Peloton asked him to take one of his his RFK uh, in episode down because it didn't reflect good on their brand. And when Dana White was on Theo Vaughn's podcast the other day, mm -hmm. when he heard this, he's like, "Hey, wait a second, we have some Peloton bikes in our UFC Performance Institute." He told his guy, he said, we're taking those bikes off, off right away. Fuck Peloton. Uh, let's pull up the CEO and take a look at them. Oh, yeah, he looks exactly like you'd expect him. That soft, lily-livered fuck stick. He, fuck Peloton and all they rode in on. And so now we're seeing backlash like that happen to, to these um, uh, corporate kind of things. So I, I think culture, I think Javi is right, right? We're winning now. We're winning the cultural battle. Um, you know, we have to be a little bit, uh, uh, you know, we, we can't stoop to the leftist level as we win, right. And, and go after crushing them and using the state's power and go back to the eighties when it was all the right controlling speech and censoring everything. Mm -hmm. And we see a little bit of that now with uh, like 
censoring people who are asking questions about the Israeli-Palestine conflict, mm -hmm. for example, on the right, they're calling for them to be banned and censored mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Uh, so we have to be careful about going too far, but we're seeing a, seeing a shift and hopefully it's in the right direction. But anyways, guys, I don't want to keep you anymore. Daniel, thanks so much for taking the time to come. We, we love having a guy who's from Argentina explain exactly what's going on there for our uh, listeners, for our audience. And, and Bennett, nice to see you again emerge from hibernation during the summer when you're working for a living, like a, I don't know, like a responsible family man, I guess. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're glad to see you become, be a degenerate libertarian podcaster again and join us here. Yeah. So thank you guys. Remember to subscribe, whether it's Rumble, YouTube, uh, uh, go to my Substack. I'm going to be putting out more uh, interviews there. People have been asking me to uh, how they can contribute. I'm working on that. I don't. I don't know how to how to get money doing this. But I'll figure it out. I'll find a way for you to contribute because definitely any contribution will definitely help. I'd love to be able to do more of this and spend more time doing this. And, and definitely uh, getting some monetary contribution will help with that. So thank you all for supporting and listening and reaching out. And uh, we'll see you again next time. Peace.